Welcome to Courageous Conversation with Teresa W. Gill, powered by Carcia Resource Professional Consultant. This is Teresa W. Gamble, your host of Courageous Conversations, and today we got something special. Y'all know I'm always coming up with something to be able to bring this information to you live, and this particular topic I think will be beneficial for everyone, especially coming out of this pandemic and all these eviction moratoriums, and we're trying to move differently now. So we have an amazing Miss Tina Noble, the founder and CEO of the Noble One Credit Counseling. Uh-huh, I got you today. Credit Counseling, we are going to launch a series of conversations, Savvy Credit Strategies, where you do it yourself. But she's going to give you the know-how, the tips, and the strategies to do it. And I'm going to let Miss Noble introduce her what qualifies her to do this so we can get into this conversation. Welcome, Miss Tina Noble. Thank you. Thank you so much, Miss Teresa. I appreciate it. No problem. No problem. I'm always looking for those hidden gems that we need to be aware of. So who is Tina Noble? Well, Tina Noble is a multitude of everything. Uh, <laughs> she is first a child of God. That is absolutely for sure. She is someone that has been married. It'll be going on 32 years, raised three children, um, and just have had a full life. I can honestly say at the age of 52, I have had a full life, but I still have a lot more life to live. That's good. <laughs> that is good. That's good. Congratulations um, on your tenure of marriage. Thank you, thank you. It's uh, you know, it's it's it is what it is. Yes, yes ma'am. ma'am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> people think so, it's easy. I'm sorry, say that again. I said people think it's easy, but it ain't. You work in marriage, just like we're gonna work on this credit and get and rebuilding people's credit. You work on your marriage too, okay? What now? Now you done said a whole mouthful right there. I'm look, I'm look, I'm finna stay focused. I'm not gonna go there, but you, you got a valid point. Marriage does take work, like this credit. So, what is the Noble One Credit Counseling? The Noble One Credit Counseling came about because I have my own real estate company. It's uh the no uh the Noble Connection Realty, but. During my years, I've been doing that for 20 years and during my years of that, you know, we get clients that, you know, you feel for them. They want to become homeowners, right? But they might not be all the way there when you send them to their financial uh, mortgage, their mortgage lender and that mortgage lender tells them, I'm sorry, but you don't qualify. Your back end is too high. Your front end is too high. People don't understand that. Um, trying to build your credit takes time. It doesn't have to take a long time, but it takes time. It takes consistency and it takes, um, it takes the proper diligence that you have to do. Yeah. You can simply go and hire someone to do it for you. But what I have found is that when people go and hire someone to do it for them, they wind up right back in the same situation. So 
at least if you know how to do it yourself, even if you go and get someone else to do it, but know how to properly do it yourself. Because if you do find yourself back in that situation, you'll be able to kind of self-correct yourself before it gets too far. So the Noble One um, Credit Counseling came about from my experience of dealing with different um, customers, consumers that were trying to purchase homes. I am the type of person that when I know something, I tell it. I don't hoard information. Um, when I know, it, when I gather information that whether it works for me or not, I know if it's not for me, it's for someone out there, someone that's deeply connected to me. And I am a connector. I am a, a networker, a connector. So I have through years, I, I can go as back as maybe junior high and high school. I have had people always cling to me, come to me, or listen to me when I'm saying something. So um, the, the Noble One Credit Counseling came about as it's something that's free that I do. I've been doing it free all these years. And it's something that I wanted to give back to the community, not just my community, not just the community of people that are trying to come out and, and become homeowners, but also for any and everyone, because it can, it can reach you. And I feel the younger you are when you learn this, then the better off you will be. I wish somebody had showed me these things when I was younger, because I would have been better prepared when money landed in my hands. That's good. That is real good. Wow. So <laughs> do you have, I'm quite sure your real estate license don't, do not cover credit counseling. I'm quite <laughs> sure you had to be certified to be able to do that, to give back to the community, right? Technically speaking, no, you don't have to be certified to give, to do credit counseling. It comes from people's personal experience. If you know that you've been through something and you've been able to correct it or get through it and um, you've learned the steps to do it, don't you share that information with someone if they come to you? Yes. So that certifies you right there. If you are genuine with the information that you put out and you are genuinely trying to help others, then that's your certification. But what I did was during the year, during the pandemic 2020, um, because I am a real estate agent, I also am, you know, try to read up on Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae products and things that are um, coming out that are going to help our consumers, whether it's in the real estate industry or just in general. And one of the things that they were offering was a certification class to become certified through Freddie Mac as a credit counseling specialist. So it was free of charge. I think it lasted maybe eight or nine weeks and um, it was intensive, but it was great. It was wonderful. It gave me the hedge of knowing what was out there, how they were changing different credit rules, how they were implementing new scores um, that were benefiting um, the general public with you know with the crisis that was going on that happened because of the pandemic that is amazing now that's a good use of your time of making sure you was already <laughs> doing it so you're getting the credentialing to go with it that is amazing so with all the eviction moratoriums that's taking place and a lot of people get evicted some people having to turn back in cars they purchased prior to the pandemic and 
every time you turning back property or not being eligible for shelter, that's taking a hit on your credit. So walk us through, what are some of the preliminary things we need to be doing as consumers if we're in those situations to try to salvage or save our credit? First and foremost, I suggest this to any and everybody, pull your credit reports, okay? Pull them. Now, before 2020, you were able to get a free credit report once a year, free from all three of the credit bureaus. Um, if you go to freeannualcreditreport.com, so it's www.annualcreditreport.com, that allowed you to be able to get a free credit report uh, once a year. Um, so what I used to do was I would do it like more so towards the end of the year because that's given me that year. And then the next year you have another free credit report. Well, since 2020 and in the midst of 2020, they allowed it to where you were able to get your credit reports monthly. So you were able to um, get them free, check your credit all the time, monthly with no hits, no extra, um, you know, you shouldn't have to pay for it or anything like that. And that was just because they knew because of the pandemic and how rapidly it spread. And with everybody losing their jobs, um, they knew pe they knew it was a big thing. They knew people uh, were going to, by the masses, were going to be affected by it in damaging ways, you know, whether they want it to be or not. Now, so that's first and foremost, pull your credit report so that you know what's on there and you pull it from all three of the bureaus. Now you have these, um, you know, credit karmas and things like that. And those are good companies to keep you kind of in tune and in line. But for those companies, you have to pay a monthly fee for that, if mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken. So you know, why pay a monthly fee when you can learn how to do it yourself? A lot of people don't want to do it themselves because it's tedious. It's time consuming. But if you, um, if you become disciplined, you become patient, and then you learn the knowledge of what you need to learn, it can be done and it can be done efficiently and it can be done effectively. See, when you go out there and you have someone else do it for you, you don't know, first of all, if they are legitimate or not. Right. Okay. Um, you and, and they charge, <laughs> they charge a lot of money. So they're not cheap. And if you can go and pay that, then you can go ahead and do it yourself and pay nothing. I mean, for, <laughs> well, you pay them for stamps. Okay. Wow. But, outside of that. And then the other thing is you just have to become motivated. You have to, you have to be steadfast in your um, journey to building your credit, maintaining your credit and knowing how, when, and where to establish your credit. That's good. That's good. That's a good segue into what I'm going to um, ask you next. Now, I've been seeing a lot of um, programs. I know Experium have been running commercials about using like our monthly expenses, like our rent, our utilities, even our next Netflix account, um, cell phone bills to boost our mm -hmm. credit score. Is those are good tools to use or are those tools that's just something for show? 
No, those are excellent tools to use. What um, what people don't know is, okay, you hear FICO score, right? Yes. Well, and, and even I was, I was um, ignorant to this information until I took my certification course, right? right? So I always thought being in the mortgage industry that there was just, there's two pretty much FICO scores. There's a credit score and then there's your FICO score. The FICO score is what's maintained and what's necessary. And that's what mortgage lenders look at. And what it does is they usually do, your mortgage lender usually do a tri-merge. So they will do, it's a tri-merge credit report where it reports from all three of the different bureaus and each bureau has a score on you. Right. And right. that score could range from anywhere between maybe below 300. Well, about 349 is usually no credit and, and below. But um, and it can go as high as 850. Some of them may even go as high as 900. But there are different FICO score scorings that are being used. So if you're going for a mortgage, then that's one type of FICO score that they look at. But then but like what you just said, they have one where it's called FICO score 09. Um, it came out in about 2014. And what that one does is it looks at your medical collections. So if you have open medical collections, that's the one for rental history. So if you are going to apply for an apartment and you get denied, well, you're looking at one thing, because nine times out of 10, you've probably gone and looked to see what your credit score is, right? right? But they are pulling from a whole nother source that's called FICO score nine. So with that one, they look at third party collections, okay? So if it's no negative collection, no, if there's open medical collections on there, then they have less of an impact sometimes. It just depends on what it is that you're going for. Um, they have third party collections on there. So if you have items that have gone to collection agencies, then sometimes that can impact your score. And then of course your rental history. So if you have, um, prior to them developing that particular system, uh, if you had good rental history, it never reported onto your credit report, only your bad things with your rental history reported on there. Well, with that one, your good rental history will be able to report on there as well. But what people have to really be careful with is when you're going to um, rent out a house, a home, or whatever it is, ask those companies and make sure that those companies are reporting to the credit bureaus. Wow. Or if they're not reporting to all three of them, which ones are they reporting to? Because that was another thing prior to the pandemic that people weren't understanding. And after pandemic and during the pandemic, it's becoming more and more uh, necessary to understand that. That's good. That's so if they do not report, if you are renting a home or apartment or a duplex and they're not reporting, what can the consumer do to make sure the good, um, good payment history is being reported? One of the things that I definitely have to tell people is you have to track track your own payments so if the if that rental company or or homeowner you know if you're doing it by privately through the homeowner if they are not reporting it to um, the bureaus then you need to do your own type of 
paper trail. So one of the best paper trails to do would be paying out of a personal checking account. Okay. Because your checking account is always linked to some form of a bank account. Mm -hmm. And that you will always be able to go back and kind of do pull the history of your payments for that and be able to submit that. And that comes important, um, especially if you are trying to go and purchase, you know, you're trying to go and purchase a home. Um, that is something that can be handed to your loan officer if your um, landlords did not report to uh, the bureaus, then that can be something, a source that you can show that it was paid on time, you know, no return NSF, uh, NSF, you know, payments. And, um, you know, it, it just works for your benefit. If you don't have a checking account to utilize, then definitely do it with a money order. Don't ever hand them cash. Because if you hand me cash, I could say I've never received it. And there's no record of sort to be able to track that. And if you're going to do a money order, then I always suggest if you don't do it through your bank, um, some banks, I remember back in the day when you get a money order for free, but of course now some banks charge as much as 10 and $15 for a money order. Right. Is it worth it? It's always worth it if it's for something that benefits you in the long run. But you can also go to um, the post office, the U.S. post office. Don't do currency exchanges or, you know, those little uh, paycheck uh, cash, cash, paycheck cash in places. And I say that because a lot of times I have seen that sometimes those would not stand up. Um, sometimes you can have fraudulent those people can easily duplicate those uh, for fraudulent, you know, activity. And um, you got to go through a whole nother consortium with that. So I say go to the post office. They're usually about 90 cents or a dollar. Right. Okay? And it's from a U.S. government uh, office. So that stands and that holds. If you can't do a money order, cashier's checks are always good. But if you do your cashier's check, make sure it's from your bank uh, mm -hmm. so that it is, you know, you can track it one and that we know that it's legitimate because that's, you know, you know, criminals, they work very hard at their craft. Okay? Wow. They, they work very hard at their craft. And for everything that's out here, there is some kind of illegal activity that can be associated with it, right? Right. So criminals, you know, you got people that will go and falsify bank statements. They could go and get fake paycheck stubs. They could go, you know, all they need is a copier or a printer. Mm. A color printer. I mean, you got people that's trying to counterfeit money off of a color printer, you know, and depending on how, you know, good your, your, um, what do you call it? Your equipment is will determine how far you can go with that activity. But so you got to be a step ahead and you have to think smart. You know, I know uh, a lot of us get anxious. A lot of us get, um, you know, we, we want what we want when we want it yeah. at that particular time, you yeah. know, and you just have to be smart. If it seems too easy, then take a second thought. That's good. That's good. So you mentioned earlier about we need to invest in stamps. So we so you're saying to dispute our credit, we got to do some writing. 
Well, you know, with this age of technology at our fingertips, everything is at the fingertips. Everything is at your fingertips because it is um, easier, right? You know, it's right there in your hand as a consumer. But yes, if you if you choose to dispute your credit reports online and they make it so convenient for you, they make it easy for you. It's so enticing. I mean, I've almost fell prey to it. Okay. Wow. But <laughs> because it's so convenient to do, right. but when you do it online, you are foregoing a lot of different rights for yourself because it's through an entity that is third party, you know, when you're doing it online, even if you're at that bureau, it's considered still kind of third party. Uh And with that third party, that in that intercessory in in between you, you losing and you're foregoing and you're giving up a lot of your rights. So yes, do it the old fashioned way. Get you some stamps, get you some envelopes, write them out to the different, you know, credit bureaus and Put your dispute letters in there. They have forms. Now print your forms off, you know, from the credit bureaus because they have the forms that you can use and write them out, fill them out and mail them in. When you mail them in with snail mail, you are allowing yourself, if you're disputing something, that agency bureau has 30 days to respond from the time that they get it. Right. Uh And then from the time that they get it, they have that 30 days. And then when they respond back to you, you have a certain time frame to be able to respond back to that, whether you want to um, appeal it or not, or you disagree with it. And from that, then the Bureau has, if it's something that is valid and they see that it does need to be disputed or it can be removed or whatever, when you're disputing it, you ultimately are trying to remove it from your credit report, okay? So if you can get it removed off of there, that's beautiful. That's great because that's the ultimate goal. Uh, You want only good things showing on your credit report. If you have a few blemishes, depending on how long that particular open trade line has been open, then, you know, sometimes they understand life happens. Um, But yeah, you want to use snail mail. And then the other thing that um, after you pull your credit report, you go through it and you start disputing things. um, You want to also be able to, um, I'm trying to use the right words. Um, You want to just make sure that you stay on top of what it is that you are trying to do. Create it, go to the go to the Dollar Tree, go get you a poster board for 50 cent or two for a dollar or whatever it is, and write out everything that you have to do. Write out a timeline, mark your calendars, you know, when you need to respond to something, mark down the dates on a calendar, put it in your phone and set a reminder so that you stay on top of you. If you're a couple of days behind, no, it's not going to hurt you, but you want to get in the habit of becoming disciplined because this is working for you and your benefit. So, um, yeah, it's I like that, that, you know, that to build that discipline in there to be able to notify, to remind yourself to follow up on this task. Now, um, granted, I, I was just like you. I was a 
good steward. And even my husband said, they said, Teresa, you, you dispute the credit report better than the people. Come on, why are you paying somebody else to do it when you know how to do it and you have more of a success rate? But a lot of times it's because of that time and that patience that you're talking about. And since the pandemic, I have uh, been revisiting it, you know, pulling the credit reports. So what if someone pulls their credit report and they can't, for some reason, get it online or have it sent to them? Mm -hmm. You have to send in proof of identification, but you know you've had past credit history. So, So let me understand what you're saying. You're saying if someone pulls their credit report and they're beginning and they can't in other words with the annualcreditreport.com you can go and request it and you can get it instantly where you can download it because i have did it and i was able to do it but for my spouse for whatever reason i couldn't do that for him but i know he has credit history so the bureaus are asking for identification, proof of residence, and all this stuff. But this has happened frequently. Okay. So is that common or is that something alluding towards identity theft? You know, I've never heard of that um, other than, you know, someone not having credit at all. But, you know, if you're of a certain age, you should have some history with credit out there you know it might not be more recent history but you should have something out there and trust and believe <laughs> they when you pull that credit report that yeah addresses i forgot i lived at on that okay <laughs> so they pull they it's very anytime you are attaching your social security number to it, it it's it's showing on your credit report but in a situation like that what i would suggest is definitely contacting the credit bureau directly over the phone. Don't, don't do it online. Do it over the phone. You want to physically talk to someone because you might have other questions that might, that you might want to ask them. And if you have somebody physically on the phone, then they can guide you and lead you in the right direction. But I would say definitely contact them. If you have to do it through snail mail, whatever it is they tell you to do, do it. So if you got to go and show them uh, do a copy of your driver's license front and back. If you got to, you know, provide your social security number. If you have to um, send in a handwritten letter with that, do it. Handwritten letters are, you know, it's old school, but, and, and when they get it from the credit bureaus, when they receive these letters, they know whether if it's you personally doing it or if you having somebody do it for you, they know it. Um, because there's usually a lot of times the same language is being used verbatim, you know, you can't do it verbatim. You have to change up the language. They can give you a template to use, and then you just kind of write it out in your own words, um, front and back. It don't matter how many pages it is. Definitely make it more than a paragraph, you know, because when you're doing that letter, um, that letter one is going to be attached to your file with the credit bureau. And then two, um, it, it's your moment to explain yourself. It's your moment to, you know, it's your three minutes of fame, so to speak, with the credit bureau. You know, you write it out, you you state your facts, you state your, your position, you state whatever it is that you feel is incorrect. And then you sit back and you wait, you wait. What I do is I try to let people know certain things that 
that makes sense to get rid of. So if there's an address on there that you've never lived at, dispute right. it. If your name is showing incorrectly, dispute it. Those are the simple things to come off, okay? Uh, right. <laughs> they don't bring up your points any, but they're the simple things that you'll be surprised. A lot of people don't understand um, that information can get put onto your credit report um, by human error. You know, uh, somebody on that other end is putting that information into the database and I get stuff for, my maiden name is Willis. I get stuff that's sent to Tina W. Noble. Well, W ain't my middle name. Right. Dispute stuff like that. You know, so um, it's simple things like that. Now, the more harder things, the things that you kind of got to roll up your sleeves and kind of put a little elbow grease in is um, the accounts that are showing on there. Look right. and see if there are anything. Uh, first of all, look through and see if all the accounts that are shown on your credit report are actually yours. A lot of times when you use credit companies um, or your friend might, you know, do these things or whatever, sometimes they might have mirrored someone else's credit and put it on yours to bring you up credit wise. Um, but you have to look at that because if there's accounts on there that are not yours and you know, you've never had a credit card with ABC credit, you know, bank or whatever, then dispute that. Those are things that you can dispute. You have to look at how old things are. Um, sometimes there's a time frame depending on what the transaction or what the, the, the reported activity is there are time frames that go on with how long they should last on there. So like inquiries, if you might've tried to apply for credit uh, with, okay, let's just say you've been in Macy's, right? And you know how they're always trying to get you, oh, you know, you can get an extra 10% off if you applied for a Macy's car. Whether you get the card or not, you can still get that extra 10% off. Well, yeah, taking the 10% off at that time is fine, but when they run your credit, that's an inquiry. You have been listening to Courageous Conversation with Teresa W. Gamble. Courageous Conversation is powered by Carcier Resource Professional Consultant. Would you like to be a guest and have your story, lesson, and best practice to be captured in an audio psychopedia? We are currently reviewing applications for future guests to join us and we're especially interested in creating spaces for long-standing or multi-generational Black-owned businesses. For more information and to be considered, please email info at crpcnow.com to request an application. Be not weary in well-doing. You shall reap if you faint not. Galatians 6 and 9.